Hello, everyone, and welcome to the PPC Show, brought to you by AdStage. I am Paul Wicker. And I'm J.D. Prater. And today is May 24th, 2019, and these are your top headlines in paid marketing. My favorite headline is not even a headline. It's that on Pivot, the Pivot podcast, Cora was bantered about by, or it might have been a win. You might have even got a win from Scott or Kara, uh, because in uh, recently Vox, who owns Recode, which runs the podcast, covered the $2 billion valuation by Cora, and they talked about you guys. So how how's it feel to be famous? Yeah, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was great that Scott was like, yeah, I like Cora. And I was like, yes, thank you, Scott. As, as Scott would say, that was gangster. It so. was it was gangster. He he didn't just say he liked it. He actually described the value prop like amazingly well about, you know, getting information and like getting questions answered from like meaningful from people like real people like he really did like a great sales pitch for Cora as a consumer product yeah I was I was psyched I was like this guy's like our next evangelist like let's let's hire this guy or get him on uh, your own podcast the Cora yeah, podcast yeah let's get him on the grow with Cora I should see if he's uh, if he's writing on there and go follow him check him out yeah you well he said he also he said he writes on medium and I think in that recode uh, piece that Vox did they talked about the same thing you've talked about before with um, Jason Lemkin, who writes a lot on both Cora and Medium, that they work together well. You like farm out or you put out some questions on Cora, see what gets responses, and or you write a bunch of answers to questions, and you kind of see what has traction, and then you turn it into not a long form, but maybe a medium form piece on Medium, and that's like a great content strategy in a box. Yeah, it works out really well. I mean, a lot of people have definitely figured that part out. Um, it's I think that is kind of the key is to figure out, you know, the questions to answer and answer the right ones. And we've got Jason on the podcast coming up in two weeks. So take a look and make sure you listen to that one because he's going to explain, you know, uh, why he writes and what he writes and what questions he picks and everything because he's answered 3,100 of them. Wow. And also, we didn't do the podcast last week, so there's a lot to cover this week. So some headlines I'll buzz through. But um but that's because you, you now have a child in daycare. And last week when you said you couldn't do the podcast because you had to go interview the daycare and you were ready for either you or uh, little Judah, little Jude, sorry, uh, to be sick all the time. And now here <laughs> it is a week later and you're working from home because uh, Jude's sick. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, we, didn't, we didn't get too far, you know, it only took four days. Uh, <laughs> and now he's sick. And so now Meg and I, Meg works from home, but I uh, rushed home to help her out where, where I can, as far as maybe mostly just like moral support, but I'm going to do my best to help out this little guy. He's taking a nap right now. So we're able to record in peace and quiet. Great. So if you hear screaming in the background, it is, uh, that is, uh, <laughs> that is baby. him. That is Jude. <laughs> um, and before we start on headlines though, in the headline on Cora from, from Vox, it was such like a troll headline. So, um, the headline, I'll, I'll read it. It says, yes, Cora still exists, and now it's worth two billion. <laughs> so they just threw that shot at you, like. Uh, I know people, uh, you know, people love to, you know, rag on us, but hey, you know, we're not, we're not very flashy, we're not in the news a lot, but slow and steady growth, you know, that's what really what we're after. We're really trying to work on maybe building a, a higher quality rather than just you know a volume play. So, hey, we're not going to be in there all the time, but when we are, yeah, look at that two billion dollar valuation. I'm, I'm down. Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, when you read the piece, it's 
it's kind of half insulting at times and then half because it keeps talking about like oh you've never heard of it and it kept, keeps making it feel like this has been type site which makes no sense because you guys do have uh i don't know what you publish as your monthly active users i think they have in the article uh what they say which is i think 300 million yeah that's uh, the latest number Sweet. So, yeah, I mean, 300 million people is like, you know, population of the U.S. So that's not too bad. Um, anyway. Yeah. It's, you know, roughly a third of the English speakers in the world. And that's apparently India. way to think about it. Apparently you're <laughs> growing like crazy in India, according to this article. Is that true? Yeah. We uh, just launched into India. So we've always had English available in India, but we just launched into Hindi. And now India is our fastest growing market by far. They're spending like over 40 minutes a day in the app wow. and over like 70 million users so far, which is nuts. Well, nice. Well, uh, I also read there's only 200 people uh, for $200 billion valuation. That's a lot of value per person. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're closer to 300, but Hey, you know, 200, whatever that makes us, you know, sound small and tiny for 2 billion. I'll take it. That is, yeah, I, I, I can't do that math, but that's, that's a lot of revenue per, uh, a lot per of value. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, it, it, you know, I will get a, a little piece of that and that will make me very happy as well. There you go. I think that's what that happens with valuation. They just split it up and everybody gets a percentage. That's right. To the uh, VCs, to the founders, everyone else. Here's, here's, right. here's some scraps. Here's a, right. here's a chicken leg. Hey, but if the scraps are big enough, they're pretty nice. And I'm vegetarian, so don't give me no chicken <laughs> legs. <laughs> here's uh, your tofurkey leg. So I tweeted today this first headline about LinkedIn uh, I think they announced it last week, but it's it's really interesting, so we'll talk about it. Anyway, is now LinkedIn, just like on Facebook, you can see ads that companies run. So if you go to the company page on LinkedIn, and on the left-hand side, all the way at the bottom, there's a new tab that says ads. You can click on that, and you can see any ads that that company has run, which is just very enjoyable to go look at if you have competitors in the market to see what their ads are. Yeah, this one is cool. I- so I'll back up. Like the obvious statement here is LinkedIn really wants to be Facebook. And this is becoming even more obvious. That said, I think this one is a, a really good one because having the transparency on advertising, especially on LinkedIn, is I think it's going to be really cool to see play out. Like our friend AJ is really excited to be able to, you know, take a look at like what maybe his client's competitors are running or if they're running anything because right so far they haven't been able to. But I also like, I'm thinking for AJ, like, hey man, like this would be a good way for you to go check out if businesses are running ads and if they're not like, hey man, like let's let's make an intro and say, hey, I can run your ads. So right. it could or, be cool. Or vice versa. I know like I haven't looked at all those scraping tools that are out there to look at like competitive analysis, but most of the ones I did know were all about AdWords where you'd, you know, you'd see who is running a lot of spend. And then if you're an agency, you're like, well, I want to go after this person because they're running 10 million in ad spend. So you can, you know, won't be able to figure out how much people are spending on LinkedIn. But certainly if you see a lot of well-developed creative on LinkedIn, you know, if you do LinkedIn as an agency, this is a great target that I want to go, go after. So of course they do these things for transparency for users uh, that they want, you know, the average user of LinkedIn, if you're, uh, you know, curious about a company, maybe you're skeptical or you want to see what they're out there selling, you can see that. It just brings transparency to their ads. But of course, this advertisers are like, how can we use this? Uh, <laughs> of course. I'm sure some startup out there is going to build a scraper that's going to build some competitive intelligence. They probably already have. Um, but speaking of being like Facebook, be careful what you wish for because Facebook continues 
to be in a very tough spot trying to balance privacy and misinformation and political ads. And now they're, you know, getting in crypto. They announced the date that, uh, well, they said early 2020 to launch their crypto. So there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, I don't know. How do you feel about this first one that uh, misinformation gets a lot more engagement than actual real news? Are you surprised by this? You know, I think I would have been, I, I think the last year it's kind of prepped me for it. And then in particular, you know, really also prepping for the keynote that I was giving, really kind of learning more about our brain and our confirmation biases that we have. This only feeds into that of like, I only want to see stuff that I agree with. Right. And that's basically what these articles have hit on. And that's what a lot of these publishers are just producing. And so, of course, when the engagement is that much higher, no, no joke. But like in the English version, for example, the average Facebook inter, uh, interactions per story, it's like four to one. So junk news is what they call it versus professional news. The junk news is getting four times the engagement as professional news. That to and, me is the problem. And the, as English speakers, I don't know, are we more susceptible or are the cultures that speak English just all about the the junk news. I like junk news, too, because it's we don't have to say fake news, which is like an endorsement of uh, <laughs> yeah. the whole, you know, people who have journalists and, uh, and do actual like best practices around journalism are considered fake news. So junk news is the new label you get to use for things like Breitbart and Infowars. Um, yeah, I mean, I pulled out a few quotes from here that I found interesting. You know, you make the point yeah, that our brains are wired for this internal bias uh, that just exists. And all it does is reinforce the viewpoints we already have. So it's hard to build a system to not do that because that's our human behavior. So I don't know how Facebook figures out uh, how to do things. And you might think, well, just kick everybody off who like peddles this fake, uh, this junk news, all these junk sites. And in the study, and the study was a third party study by I think Cambridge or Oxford, you know, someone very smart sounding. Um, And they gave like all these categories that made you junk news, which is conspiracy theories that had no facts behind them and sensational headlines that don't actually like accurately capture what the article's about and uh, not having good journalistic best practices. So when someone points out that you're sourcing something which has been proven to be fake or made up, they don't issue a retraction and they don't specify that, you know, uh, don't make a correction. So it's stuff that most rational human beings are like, oh, yeah, people who do this stuff, I don't want to read that. Uh, so you say, okay, we'll just ban them from the site. But uh, one of the other tricks of the human brain is when people take action against your belief, it emboldens you like even more. So mm-hmm. it makes you a more hardcore believer. So the more they kick Alex Jones and Infowars off of a network, because he's proven to, you know, peddle false conspiracy theories. I mean, the Sandy Hook one and a few others, he's admit that, you know, I forget what the the latest. He's just a crazy person. So there's a lot of like, I don't even know to believe the headlines attacking him because his, his world is a very bizarre place. But every time they kick him off, people just get more in his corner of he is uh, the hero just because you've kicked him off. It's it's crazy. It's nuts. I mean, and it's, it's really tough because here we are at the Facebook user. I want to see stuff that I agree with. And so the stuff that I don't agree with, what do I do? I, I just hide it, right? So I, I mute it. So therefore, I'm also sending those signals and it's tough because here you are the marketer and you're like, oh, look, if I write this headline, it's going to get more engagement because people agree with it and they want to see it. Facebook's like, oh, look, this is getting a lot of engagement. Let's give it more, you know, weight in the algorithm or like let's push it up higher. And so it's just like this, this cycle in never ending. It's a tough one. I'm not fixing this one is, is really tough. 
Well, and they say it also has some big impacts on our our world because things like climate change, which are are real, there's facts, there's data, there's, you know, it's even if you're living in a box, it's pretty easy to tell the Earth's climate is changing, let alone all the climate scientists and all the data we have, et cetera. It's it's a generally accepted fact. It's like arguing against gravity at this point. Like there's lots of of, uh, theories that have held true and been proven using data. So that is not something that most people would debate, yet no one really it, not no one cares, but it's hard to get traction behind ideas like that because no one wants to click on those headlines when you can click on, you know, you know, woman has Bigfoot uh, child, just like the old <laughs> days with the Inquirer and Star. I mean, I guess these tabloid magazines have been doing this for like 50 years. It just Facebook realized you make a lot more money being a tabloid magazine than you do being a newspaper. That's right. Ooh, that's a good headline. It is. Maybe, maybe it's time for a Quora uh, post and then a Medium story about that. Um so let's touch on the election side of it, too, real quick, because it's basically making uh, similar points. But Facebook did announce uh, so they're going to stop commissioning their salespeople on political ads. So they're kind of trying to de-emphasize uh, the sales team or you know, de-emphasize political ads at Facebook to try to um, kind of clean up all the fake accounts they had and all the kind of fake uh, political content that was being created. Yeah, this is I mean, <laughs> so we got like two here. So like one. Removing the incentive, so again, so obviously their sales team was getting commissioned based off these political campaigns. So once you incentivize that commission, and we all know how much they spend. I mean, I think you asked that a couple of weeks ago. I mean, Biden was spending, what, half a million dollars a week on Facebook, Instagram ads, according to the ads library. Like, that's insane. And to think about that commission every single week, right? After a month, you know, like that looks really good. So... How do you get a bigger paycheck? Well, you go get more political ads or you increase those political budgets. So taking away that incentive, I think will help a little bit. That said, I still think the politicians are going to go to Facebook and spend money. So I don't know if it's actually going to slow down the the flow of money coming from political campaigns. What do you think? Yeah, if anything, it's a test of how good the Facebook salespeople are. You know, like how much revenue and ad spend were they able to create as as, uh, mm. as impact from all their sales tactics. And I'm not villainizing them at all. I mean, that's why you have salespeople, right? I, I used to sell ads myself in Yellow Pages back in the Stone Ages. And we'd always say, nobody takes out their wallet and just gives you money for ads. You have to pry the wallet out of their pocket and, you know, show them how to pay for things because people are lazy or they're busy or they don't know much about ads and and they don't want to do that. So the salesperson's job was really to, like, create awareness about these ads, show all the other people getting results, make them visualize success, and then tell them, yeah, just swipe your credit card. Doing that for any product will get you more sales. That's like a general rule of life. Um, So doing this, I think, will reduce the number of politicians and the amount of spend going into political ads, because outside of like Joe Biden and the major candidates, there's tons of tiny little groups and local elections where people are just throwing money at Facebook. I mean, fundamentally, though, it's, it's such a mixed signal, because if political ads are bad on Facebook, get rid of them. Don't just mm-hmm. say, well, we're not going to pay our sales team because that'll slow them down a little bit. It's either they're good or bad. Say they're good, they're fine. Why wouldn't I send them like anything else? Or they're bad, and because we can't control it, we're just going to get rid of everything, which, of course, would cost them like millions and millions of dollars. So it's, I don't know, it's like a half, it's, it feels a little bit like a fake olive branch. Like, oh, look, here, we're doing this as uh, something. Uh, and like if this study above we just talked about proves that some of these, it's the same as like they've proven some sites are junk news. So just mm-hmm. get rid of them. Don't like 
do all this stuff to try to move him down in the newsfeed and you know if just get rid of him so if political ads are broken on facebook just get rid of them and then start from scratch exactly cool i'm with you on that one I feel ranty. (laughs) Well, the next one's even better as far as like ranty, though. Did you see that the Facebook transparency report was um, was kind of tied into this one, but they came out and said, hey, look, we estimate how many fake accounts there are, you know, represented. They were they were estimating five percent of Facebook users worldwide, their MAUs are fake accounts. So I was like five percent. Oh, that doesn't sound terrible i mean it sounds like a lot when you actually do the math that's that's like 120 million fake accounts (laughs) so to put that in perspective like that is uh what tiktok who we'll talk about in a second i just saw their numbers 20 let's call it 30 million round them up 30 million so facebook's fake users are you know four times the size of tiktok (laughs) yes Yes, exactly. Like whole nations, I think, you know, is also like worth thinking about. Oh, man, it's like that's so much. Right. So I think that part was pretty, pretty much like a lot. And then uh, the other thing I thought was really interesting was in the process, you know, so Facebook's machine learning has figured out a lot of bad actors. And so they've been able to shut down. Uh, They saw the removal of 2.2 billion attempted fake account activations. So. They claim they have 2.4 billion people. That'd be another Facebook size <laughs> of wow. fake accounts. 2.2 billion people uh, in the last year. That's that's insane. And it is like maybe a 4x increase over how many. I'm looking at their little uh, line chart or bar chart here. Because it's about 4x as much as they've traditionally blocked. Um, and it, I mean, so I pick on Facebook as does everybody. And sometimes I just feel like, how do you fix all this stuff? They have so many problems. I mean, if you've built a website as a small business or as just a hobbyist and you put your email on there, you know, you get spammed like crazy and there's bots. And if, you know, at ad stage, we're a tiny startup, we get fake accounts almost daily. Like there's, I have no idea what you would do with a fake ad stage account. You know, you, there's nothing in there you can steal. I mean, it's, there's no reason to have a fake account, but we get like one a day. It's just some random bot creating an account i don't have any idea why i i'm with you I, I don't know if it's like i don't i don't get it and then the only other thing I wanted to get a quick call out was facebook does not include duplicate profiles as fake accounts so there could be multiple paul wickers out there impossible uh <laughs> possible there's only one I'm, yeah no everybody would know if, if there was fake ones um my whole 350 followers on twitter would be outraged um, or I guess on Facebook, where I have no followers. Do you even have followers on Facebook? I don't go to Facebook anymore at all. It's like so not my life. But thank you. Join the dark side with me, Paul. Right. I'm. I'm not taking any moral high ground. I'm just lazy, and I don't feel like I. I even like going on Facebook. If I liked it, I. I would still be on it. I still go on Instagram every day, and I use WhatsApp for my uh, friends over in the Europe and Middle East. So, uh, I. I'm not there yet, but maybe I will one day join you yeah. on the. social media you just see like it it gets easy right like so you just kind of like don't log in a day then you don't log in for a week and then it turns into a month and you're just like yeah actually i don't i don't really miss anything that's going on over here i just i'd rather just go spend my time somewhere else well you know you do bring up a lot of i'm going to jump down the gdpr stuff too because you know this is a little bit of like fundamentally quitting social media is, is pretty drastic but you're also kind of saying look it's so broken and it's such a you know addictive 
substance. I'm just going to walk away from it. And the people who are working on privacy and you know GDPR in California, you know, passed their own version of GDPR. I forget what it's called, California something Protection oh, Act, yeah, Consumer Protection Act, um, California Consumer Protection Act, and that's supposed to go live next year. So there's people trying to put at least privacy changes in place to improve that aspect of social networks. Of course, that doesn't mean they're not going to serve you up a bunch of, you know, information to continue your bias. But um, for GDPR, we actually hit the one-year anniversary. So it's been the news that we have now been GDPR'd for one year, um, which, oh, I don't know, GDPR. Global data protection, data privacy requirements, (laughs) something like that. Um, General data protection regulation. Perfect. Uh, so if you don't know GDPR, it was, you know, it's a European uh, European legislation, but since so many American countries do business in Europe, and part of the legislation it requires that partners of companies in Europe are also GDPR compliant. And essentially, if you're in tech, you have to be GDPR compliant. So uh, AdStage and Cora and everybody else about a year ago freaked out, and we all got all this right-to-be-forgotten options into our products, and there's some data uh, kind of... Uh, stuff you need to do to um, prove that you're handling your data securely. Overall, it's a bunch of good stuff. It protects consumers from data leaks a bit. And it's certainly, if you want to be forgotten, you never could do anything in the past. You canceled your your service with someone. They just, you were in a database somewhere uh, waiting, you know, if they ever got leaked, then your data would get leaked. Now you can say, hey, I really, I, when I cancel, I want you to also remove my existence from your product. So good things. We're a year in and, and you know, there wasn't uh, there was compliance, but there's a lot of people now saying, well, most people did just kind of the bare minimum to get by. But now the series of fines that have come up, uh, some lawsuits happening and people are expecting there to be kind of some building momentum around privacy. Yeah, I, I, I'm i just shocked that, like, that year went by really fast. It seems like remember, like all of us like freaking out, you know, and then the year's gone by and we're like, oh, yeah, GDPR happened. Yeah, I could tell you're not on the engineering team. <laughs> it's We get, uh, again, we're a small company. We get maybe only one or two requests a month of people who say, you know, please, like, delete my account and, like, remove me. I don't know. Usually they have some code words to try to be, like, I'm, I'm requesting for GDPR reasons. I'm convinced it's, like, people who are trying to sell us GDPR compliance software because, <laughs> like, the way they always write it is so specific. Um, but so we get a few and it's, and, you know, we handle them cause we, we have systems now to do that. But, um, in Europe, uh, you know, they, you have to get consent if you want to, uh, track someone. And I'm sure if you use the internet, you've seen, there's a lot more banners at the top of people's websites saying, Hey, by using this site, you're consenting to a cookie. Sometimes they force you to click the button. Rarely they force you to click the button to opt in, uh, you know, even in Europe still, and by the numbers, 63% of publisher traffic in Europe now has this, uh, it's filtered via what they call consent manage, uh, consent management platform. So basically what manages that consent uh, checkbox. Um, so most European publishers now are um, using a consent management platform or getting consent. And Spain is the highest at 82% of their traffic. Folks like Netherlands, France, UK, all, all up there. Um, but it's still, you don't need to have them like check the box. It's one of those, you just have to tell them. And then by using the website, you're considering that consent. So it's still very vague. And the quote that I took out of that article was that, 
the best thing that came from GDPR isn't necessarily the protections yet. It's basically that the data policy and competition policy has become a global discussion. So we're talking about it now, and, and there is momentum, and there's the California legislation, and uh, there's a bunch of browsers and changes b- between the Brave, Braze, Brave, browser, uh, Brave. <laughs> um, and then, you know, there's another article we have in here about uh, what uh, Apple is doing with um, their browser, uh, Safari, which name I forgot. Um, so really a lot of benefit from GDPR, but it's kind of been slow to take effect. For sure. Ooh. But you know about those ads, right? <laughs> we were just, this is my segue into uh, GDPR, but who is testing lots of ads and experimenting is Twitter. Have right. you been getting and seeing lots of ads? You I know, got uh, I, I got a four pack last week, four ads in a row. I'm going to open Twitter right now. I, I haven't been on Twitter as much as usual, but I, I don't know. I feel like I always got ads. So, I, you know, so if you know what we're talking about, there's something called ad load. You can manage, you know, the load of ads. So how many ads do you see? And you can, you know, it's basically if you use Facebook, it's like a frequency. But instead of thinking frequency for your ad, it's frequency for ads in general. So Facebook can say like, okay, we want an average user to see like five ads in their experience on Facebook and, you know, this session or two or 10. And Twitter has one that's pretty smart where it says, okay, well, if we showed him a bunch of ads and then he closed Twitter and we've seen that behavior a lot, don't show that person a lot of ads. Or if they're like a key Twitter user and one of our like top influencers or someone that we want on the platform, turn off the ads so that they get a better <laughs> Twitter experience. Uh, so they keep using Twitter, even if we spam it up for everybody else. So but Twitter needs some money. So apparently they like turn the knob to be like, give ads to everyone. So now all the famous people are complaining that they have ads on Twitter. Welcome to the <laughs> real world, famous people. Oh, man. No, it's pretty good. It's it's uh, you got to do what you got to do, right? I'm sure they're trying to figure out how to make more revenue. They've been kind of flat on user growth. So, hey, let's put more ads in there and see what happens. Um, and obviously you get some, uh, a few headlines here. It looks like there's been a few articles this last week and I've seen a few people talking about it uh, on Twitter. But outside of that, we'll see what happens. We'll see if user engagement is up or down, but get those ads, stuff them in there. Right. I mean, it is, uh, I, I always used to think at the end of the quarter, like if there's some knob at Facebook where they're like, show more ads, you know, we need to hit our number for the quarter, we're behind, turn up the ad load button, and suddenly everyone's news feed is just like, ad, 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 ad. <laughs> it's like um, a button, it's like a, like a knob, you know, like turning it to 11, you know? Right, exactly. It's the, the old volume knob, the knob at 11. Uh, and it's at the end, and then they it's tied right to their like uh, profit margins or something. So the profit margin <laughs> goes down and just turns the knob up. Um, so let's talk about TikTok. Have you actually used TikTok yet? We talk about this every now and then. No, uh, I have not used TikTok, but man, the media absolutely loves TikTok. They love talking about them. Again, this goes back to the agenda setting theory, but we're here, we're talking about them um, as you do, but man. They are, they're, they're, they're crushing, they're crushing it. I'm, well, I've been really impressed. I mean, they sound like, like to your point, I've been hearing about them a lot, but they only have 26 million MAUs in the U.S. In the U.S., yeah. In the U.S. So they're a Chinese company, and in China, they're probably got a lot more. But in the, in this article, they only talk about the U.S. base, and 60% are 16 to 24 years old. So basically, this is like the Snapchat of, you know, the 2019 year, so... 
as the Snapchat users grow up and they become, you know, in their mid-20s and early 30s, TikTok becomes the thing for the kids. Yeah. I mean, but did you see how much they're selling ads for? So they do not have a self-serve platform. So you have to go through their sales team, which is pretty normal um, as, ad, as ad platforms are kind of getting started. But uh, I thought this was like really expensive. So a $10 CPM with a $6,000 minimum campaign spend. And then you can do these takeover ads, which are $50,000 a day, which is a guaranteed 5 million impressions. Like this was what Snapchat used to sell, you know? And I was like, wow, $50,000 a day or a $6,000 minimum. Wow, man, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, and that is also the rate card. So you know how rate cards are. I yeah, used to call yeah. them the rubber rate cards because they bounce all around. Uh, so, but that is, the, you know, this is the, the way you start when you have an ad network and you need to make money and you don't have a UI yet. Um, most of the customers on there are like app downloads too. So if you look at uh, their advertiser list, it's folks like Grubhub or Poshmark, you know, people who have apps and are trying to get app downloads. And um, the the thing that I keep thinking is, you know, if you've been following the U.S. and China, we're in a little bit of a trade war right now. Things aren't super rosy. Huawei just got, you know, declared like a enemy of the state or something terrible where, you know, they've been, uh, I don't know, misusing information in the U.S. as like, OK, uh, we don't want uh, Huawei being sold in the U.S. And now there's like U.S. companies that are breaking ties with Huawei. So. And they're a, a mobile phone manufacturer, if you don't know who they are. They make phones that compete with, like, uh, Samsung and iPhone and all that. Um, so anyway, so you have Huawei doing that. And I'm wondering if, you know, TikTok, I don't know if people even know it's a Chinese company, but are they going to get caught up in this too? Or are they going to hmm. start? Especially with privacy, social media, photo sharing, images. Uh, I mean, on the surface, you would think the last place I want to kind of <laughs> do my messaging and worry about privacy as a company that's based in <laughs> yes. China who has Nailed a legacy yeah. of, you know, public uh, surveillance at all times and control of media. So it's like you expect the Chinese apps to be stealing your data. So it's... Uh, well, they didn't have to steal it. They're just giving it. You know, these users are just giving it to them. So <laughs> right. I'm with uh, you. I'm with you on that one. So that one's a little... I'm on this... I'm, that's why I... I Honestly, that's why I haven't downloaded TikTok on my phone because I'm just, I mean, if I, if you can't trust, and I mean, I guess I'm being a little Ameri- American-centric here, but, you know, most people feel like they can't trust Facebook, Google, and I know people that work at Facebook and Google, you know, it's, if you can't trust them, uh, trusting, you know, a communist country that has propaganda and uh, social control as part of their public agenda, it's not a secret, it's like, what, huh? Anyway, this is my old man tendencies coming out. Um, so that's TikTok. Eventually, I guess I'll be forced to try them if they keep getting more traffic. But <laughs> I'll have to like buy a, a burner phone or something. <laughs> uh, maybe. Oh, this leads into the next story. If because I might be illegally buying weed. Um, uh, <laughs> trying to figure out this whole uh, issue is a tough one. One of our investors is actually, I think he's the CEO or COO over at Ease. Uh, which is the weed delivery service that is very popular here in California. You have a little app, you you order your weed, they drive it to your house like a pizza, and you just get it. And when people visit you from out of town, it blows their mind. Now, not so much. It's getting more and more legal. But they've been around now for like three years, you know, just really early with the whole legalization thing. Uh, but basically, this this other article is all about how do you 
advertise this stuff on the networks. I don't know. Do you know anyone who's found creative ways to do it or can you do it on Quora? Uh, you can't do it on Quora. And this also includes CBD as well. We're taking a very uh, cautious approach to this one. That said, I, you know, I think we should. I mean, I, I can't, you know, it's not my decision to make, but ultimately I think as long as it was, you know, it's legalized in your state, uh, and especially like for CBD, uh, so CBD um, at the federal level on the 2018 Farm Bill, it was removed industrial hemp from the Scheduled One of Controlled Substance Act, which basically means it's like they decriminalized uh, hemp. So I, I, I think it would be okay. We had someone reach out to us after HeroConf, like, hey, you know, we're doing the CBD oil stuff. Can we advertise? And I was like, yeah, sorry, I, you can't. But that said, there is CBD oil topics and there is like weed and hemp topics on course. So you can go own the organic side of that, but currently we don't allow... Um, you know, advertising the same as Google, the same as Facebook, same as like pretty much every other major network. I think everyone's kind of taking, uh, you know, tipping their toes around this one, but I wouldn't be surprised in the next couple of years, uh, as these companies are like flush with cash, they're gonna, they're gonna open it up. It's, I mean, they're missing out. I mean, Google and Facebook alone are like two thirds of online advertising. And the fact they can't advertise on the two main platforms definitely limits them and we'll see what happens when if and when those rules change i think for cbd if you if you don't know what cbd is just google cbd oil you'll be assaulted with information here in california it's very trendy so you can get cbd in your latte you can get cbd brownies you can get cbd and <laughs> it's not yeah, yeah. Low, everything you can think of dog food they're putting cbd in it's not a drug like you don't get high you don't hallucinate it's like the non um fun part of of uh of weed right there's like thc which is the part to get you high and then there's cbd which doesn't get you high but it's supposed to have all these therapeutic effects so it's basically a supplement and it's uh, it's just become a craze i don't know if you're old enough to remember like echinacea when that was a craze and ginkgo leaf or ginkgo biloba that was a rage this is the new rage CBD oil does everything. You could live longer, grow more hair, cure cancer, sleep better, get rid of pain. Like it's the new miracle drug, which means in like a year, nobody's going to care about it. But right now, everybody's selling it in everything. You're not you're not getting uh, in California. It's definitely the hottest thing. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, I tried I a CBD latte. It was it was gross. <laughs> uh, we uh, we tried to give some to our our older dog who's having some hip issues. You know, we didn't really see much of a change. You know, I think our vet advised, hey, you know, this could be a good solution for him as he's got a little bit of like arthritis, and we have stairs now, and so getting up and down the stairs, he got a little bit of a of a limp. So, but anyway, I don't know if we'll continue to give it to him. Even we'll the see. vets are getting into it. I mean, it does feel a little crazy. Especially because, like, we make drug companies go through so many hoops to get a drug approved, like, fairly. You don't want to, like, kill people and have crazy side effects. But the difference between a drug and a supplement is, like, very minor. You know, like, there's not that much difference between the two. And yet, like, with supplements, we just let anyone make anything. The quality's not regulated. The effects aren't measured. Side effects don't have to be listed. So, you know, you take aspirin, ooh, you got to, like, read the bottle and all this stuff. If you take a willow bark extract, which is used used to be used to make aspirin before they made it synthetically, oh yeah, we can drop that in whatever we want as a supplement. So it's just crazy. And now already, like doctors are recommending it, and it's like, wait, there's been no like medical rigorous studies done. It's only even been in use for like a year, and already like the vets recommending it. Maybe it works. I just 
it blows my mind as the skeptic. Very, very, very true. Uh, I, I don't know really what to think. I've tried to get online and look at it, but they can't spend, and it looks like the ad networks that are going to allow it could have a huge you know, upper hand. So I, I sent this article along to our product team, and I was like, guys, look at this. Growth opportunity. Let's do it. Right. Let's sell that <laughs> CBD. Get on the bandwagon. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it isn't anybody. It's not your decision about whether CBD works or not. It's just if it's just another supplement. Although I think supplements might also be a tricky tricky topic on social networks because that is another thing it's kind of like the vaccine and anti-vax kind of battle going on where facebook and youtube and some other folks are like kicking off the anti-vaxxers saying like you know it's kind of vaccine you know vaccines are a medical treatment and then they're saying they're because of the efficacy and lack of efficacy debate whether it's true or not just you know they took a stand. So they could start do, taking a stand with other things like CBD to say, hey, we we don't think this is a legitimate position to take because there's no scientific evidence. And so maybe you could see that's the slippery slope of, of regulation slash censorship. But um, all right, we've been bouncing all over. I don't, did we cover every headline? Yeah, I'd say that's good. <laughs> <laughs> is the baby crying? And you're like, I'm done. Um, uh, no, we got one more. But this one's like really complex. Oh, um, yeah. If they you want to cover it. Yeah. Yeah. I I want to cover it because it's really important. I put this all in right. one of our Slack channels and and wrote to the team, we should all read this, but I don't have time to read it right now at, at the length it needs. So I read through it, but it confused me. Basically, because it's a, a very kind of technical art, article, but I'll do, we'll boil it down quickly. So basically... Um, for privacy, you know, uh, the, and it's, um, it's called WebKit, and I think it's what's used by Safari. Like, it's the guts yeah. of the Safari browser. And they want to change the browser so that basically third-party click tracking doesn't work. So that the only people who really know who click on ads are, say, the network, like Google, and then, you know, the person who gets the click So as the, as the customer. And they're really trying to build it. So those are the only two people who know who clicked, and they don't want you to be able to figure out the exact person. So they want to kind of group the clicks into, I think it was like chunks of 64, and then kind of put some fake variability in the time of click and stuff like that. So you really can't figure out exactly who clicked on what, and kind of force some distance between the tracking and the user, and also not let all these third-party cookies and tools and pixels fire and collect all this information and build these lists. So as a marketer, this is like a big deal because this is how probably all your your attribution tools work and how all your audience building works. This would effectively render a lot of this useless. And it is actually live. Like you can go into the browser if you're using Safari and it's in like I think their beta version and it's an option you can toggle on. But this is like a working product that Apple is really pushing because Apple is trying to take the high road on the privacy piece. And so this is how they're pushing it in the browser. And there's people saying this is actually going to happen in every browser eventually. Um, so I don't know how do I do. That was really good. Story? That was really good. But so, it's still, it's just, it's just so complex um, with like the browser, which browser you're using. If you're using Safari, is Google going to follow, you know, cause Google had their kind of update around what they're doing with the browser tracking of cookies. And it's, it's kind of crazy, but I, I do like the point that they did make is you don't actually need to know these like specific person, Right, you just need to know that a click led to a purchase, and that much I kind of like. 
Yeah, and it is true. Like, if you think of PII, personally identifiable information, like name, address, telephone number, email, as a marketer, we don't care about that stuff. It's just how we connect all the usage together is with oh, a common email address. And maybe it's useful if you want to send the messages. But the actual, like, personally identifiable part, like, we don't care about your name. We don't care about, you know, where you live uh, out of interest. We only care about, like, uh, how we can sell you things. That's right. <laughs> so, but I do think, I, you know, there's kind of a either this is the way that market's going to go and every browser will do this, or this is going to be some, like, kind of, you know, uh, attempt at privacy that just won't catch on. I do think it's going to be the former. I do think what we're doing right now as marketers with the level of tracking and granularity we have is going to go away. I think we will get regulated out of this level of granularity where you can follow an individual person as they click on this and add this to the cart and then spend this much time on this page or website. I, I do feel like a lot of that uh, will get regulated away and especially some of the third party tracking. Uh, you know, if you ever, well, I don't want to rant too long, but it's crazy to think, like I remember back in the day, we had a, uh, I had a call with Blue Kai and I was like, how do you, you know, figure out who's in these audiences? And they're like, well, you know, we put the pixel on your site. I was like, yeah, but we don't get that much traffic. And they're like, oh, yeah, we pretty much have our pixel on everyone's site on the Internet because we're Blue Kai. And I was like, oh, so you could basically watch everyone on the Internet go everywhere, and then you create your audiences, and that's why they're so good. Gotcha. <laughs> like, if they're on Target and they're on Best Buy and they're, you know, they, they suddenly can watch purchase behavior everywhere, and suddenly they have this, like, data set that is unstoppable but possibly going to go away soon. So if you're using Blue Kai now, part of Oracle, you know, take advantage because it could go away. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I think that's all the news we have. Uh, it was, I think, a good blend of, of technical, political, and actual marketing news. So if you want more of this lovely blend, you can go over to blog.adstage.io and sign up for the newsletter and get these headlines in your inbox every week. And if you want more podcasts, you can head over to SoundCloud and listen to some more although JD you tell me we need to switch and move off of SoundCloud onto something more reputable so one day I'll be able to say something different but until then everyone enjoy your week see you guys